His grace is sufficient. And we're excited about what God is doing, and more than anything else, I think, excited about what God is going to do. We have learned a long time ago that when God speaks, he doesn't just speak, just be talking. He's saying something, and he means to do it. Uh, this 14th chapter of Romans kind of stuck in my mind for about a week or so, and I couldn't really understand what God was wanting out of it. It seemed a little bit self-explanatory, and it seemed a little bit alien to us today. But after much prayer and consideration and reading that chapter, I found that it is very pertinent to us today. It's hard to get into that without reading the whole chapter. That's going to be a little lengthy, but if you wouldn't uh, mind, just read right along with me, because everything it says is, is very pertinent. The Apostle Paul writing to the Romans says, He that is weak in faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputions, or not to uh, decisions of doubts, or whatever. For one believeth that he may eat all things, Another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks, and he that eateth not to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that, is, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth, condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. 
and that he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. After listening to the Apostle Paul minister and write, and so many things that he set down in black and white, the Bible is full of do's and don'ts. We know that. It, it is either telling us we can do something or it's either telling us we can't do something. But yet there's some areas that's left in doubt. And it's those areas I feel like has probably been responsible for more church splits and more individuals uh, not being able to commune with one another than any one thing I know of. The Apostle Paul in this whole chapter, it would seem as if in some occasions he was compromising. It would seem sometimes if he was hedging or vacillating. But actually what he was trying to do was get to the root of a problem that was eating at the core of the church and getting ready to cause it to dissolve or split or the devil to have his way about it. And so the Apostle Paul was dealing in some areas of doubt. Now, the people in Paul's day had their list of do's and don'ts, kind of like we do. He explained that there some of the Jewish believers who schooled in the Old Testament dietary laws felt so strongly about not eating some meats that they pressed their convictions on their fellow Christians, making the observance of these laws necessary to salvation. Others did the same, of course, with feast days and with the Sabbath. Others believed that eating meat that had been sacrificed or offered to idols was a demon practice and unchristianized everybody that ate of it. So in our day, we don't argue over those things very much. But we do have our list of do's and don'ts. <laughs> Amen. And, and those things probably have been the reason for more church splits and more hurt feelings and more abused individuals than one thing. We can lock horns not on necessarily the dietary laws and we don't lock horns too much on, uh, on different other things that Paul was meeting here, but these were standard practices of those days that was uh, devouring the church. And he was wanting us to see that in every church age there are doubtful areas and things that's actually undermining and destroying Christian principles and also on the verge of destroying churches. So we lock horns today not necessarily on that, but we lock horns on dress standards, you know, exactly how people should dress, uh, <laughs> whether they should have long sleeves, whether they should, uh, dresses should come so far, what type of dressing should they wear, should it be... Uh, quote, men's apparel, as they term it, and all these things, horns on as to whether it should be long or short or in between or whether it should be uh, even touch all of that evil, and then social ethics, how to act, and so many things. So how do we, how do we decide actually what's right in this area, and are these issues really up for grabs? Are they not pertinent to anything at all? And the questions are, does the scripture off, offer any help? in these dark areas, these shaded areas. And so in reading that, Paul gives us a clue to his letter to the Romans, and this one chapter seems to evaluate the whole thing. He first off lets us know that some things are actually debatable. There are some things that uh, could actually be right for some people and wrong for some people. 
Actually, some, some people could get by with it, some people could not. But he urges them in this chapter, something I think we have overlooked for so long, he urges them in this chapter uh, to welcome one another. When we come together, welcome one another, but not for disputes over opinions that we have. You see, we should see in one another the love of God, brotherly love, ideas and opinions that probably differ, but when we come together, let's come together for the good of God. Now, the word he uses for opinions is from the Greek dialogamos, where we get our word dialogue. In other words, what it's actually saying is there can be more sides than one to some issues. And, of course, you find some people hard to take this. They think everything is written down in black and white and there's no shaded areas in there or no areas left to the individual's personal feelings and personal ideas and opinions. But Paul, in this whole chapter, tells us there is. He gives us an example. He said one believes that he might eat anything. <laughs> you know, there's no problem there. And another believes, he said, and Paul terms it the one that is weak, eats only herbs or he eats only vegetables. But he's going on to say, now God doesn't make an issue out of this. He's leaving this, in other words, to individuals, to personal preferences. These individuals, these Jews, had been raised and schooled in that, and this had been their life. Uh, they would find it hard to turn loose of that. So Paul is saying, let them go ahead and do that. You do that. But don't you judge somebody else that doesn't have the same feelings that, that you have. And then he turns around to the other brother and says, because they are feeling some religious freedom in their ears, don't you criticize them. In other words, this is matter of personal judgment as far as you are concerned, whether you are condemned or not. I told my wife a long time ago, I won't live under condemnation. Whether it is self-condemnation, man's condemnation, or God's condemnation, I refuse to be condemned. If I'm condemning myself, I won't do it. If somebody else condemns me and that is hard, I won't do it either. And if God condemned me, I certainly won't do it, but I refuse to live under condemnation. And Paul is saying, these are areas that are shaded. They are not black and white areas. You can't sit down and say, you can't eat this meat. He's telling you to welcome both of those into the service. And he's having a make, making an issue of that because he says, if here for God hath received them. You see, sometimes we fail to realize God has received these individuals. That doesn't look like we think they ought to look or talk like we think they ought to talk or go to places we don't think they ought to go. We fail to recognize that God has received them. And Paul is meeting this issue. They're a little bit different than ours, but he's meeting them. Now, some matters we can color black and white. I mean, there's just some things that God has an opinion about, and he says his opinion, and that's the way it is. That is not debatable. But there's other areas that Paul leaves to individuals. That's a kind of a gray area like food and dress and hair and entertainment and all of that. Now I need to elaborate just a little bit on that. The Greek word borrowed to describe the gray, the gray, gray area or the shaded area is adiphorus. Now that comes from a compound A meaning in plus diphorus which simply means different. In other words, some matters are indifferent or they're just morally neutral. Just some areas that God doesn't speak definite on. 
And this term is used in medicine to, to refer to something that's neither helpful nor harmful. And there again, Paul gives us an example when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8, 8. He says, but meat commendeth us not to God. He's dealing with meat. For neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we worse. You see, there's no definite thing to that. He's not condemning those that won't eat. And he's not condemning those that eat. He's leaving this as adaphora or a neutral ground where individuals satisfy their own selves as to what is right and what is wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I see in church as every place there is no neutral ground. Individuals have no personal liberty. Amen? No way for them to follow their own guidance. What uh, they're guided by. And I've, I have some things that is scripturally not wrong for some people. But I'll get to that later, but it would be wrong for me because I'm doing it doubtfully. And you see, anything that is doubtful and not of faith is sin. So to me, whether it would be right or wrong to you, to me it would be sin. Because I'm doing it not really understanding whether it's right or wrong. Paul writes, of course... Uh, other matters, he tells us just before this, that some things you just don't debate about. And he lays down some heavy issues in 13, 13, Romans 13 and 13. You're right there by it. He says, let us walk honestly as in the day. He lets us know right off but that we can't be liars. You don't, you don't argue about that. That's not debatable. That's just the way it is. And God condemns us on that. And then it goes on to say, not in rioting, uh, which means being wasteful or rebellious. You, you simply cannot make your own mind up whether you're going to be rebellious or wasteful or not. God says you can't be. Those are absolutes. Those are things that God writes down in black and white. He says, not in drunkenness. You can't be a drunkard and make it. And then not in chambering. That's fornication, whether it be natural or spiritual fornication and then wantonness. That's disregard for order or no restraint whatsoever. And he tells you you can't do that. But the serious thing about this is we all go with this. You know, we're not rioters. We're not drunkards. We're not fornicators. And we do have regard for order. <laughs> but then he comes right along and puts a couple of little words in there that might get a hold of a lot of us if we're not careful. But they're just like these others. It said, not in strife and envyings. Now that's absolute. I mean, I don't have any choice as to whether I can make it and have a strifeful nature or an envying nature or not. God doesn't leave me a choice on that. He's laid that down. That is prohibited by Scripture and it's non-negotiable. When the Scripture says what we must do, then we are not free to put that to a vote. And when the church tries to make absolutes relative, bring them up for discussion, then it loses its prophetic voice. It loses its holiness. And you and I know that this has been done over the years. That individuals have taken things that God had said is absolutely you cannot do that. And they have decided in their board meetings or in their community meetings or or in their business meetings, or in their church meetings, that uh, maybe we can do this. 
And that takes away the prophetic voice of the church. That takes away what God has for it. That takes away its holiness. Takes away its righteousness. Takes away its outreach to a community. Because they've taken the absolutes of God and made them relative and it's lost its voice. Churches all over the land have lost its voice. I mean, it can speak and say, but people don't hear because they have not adhered to the absolutes. They made a big uh, thing out of the relatives. They've tried to make them absolutes. They've tried to work with that. But by the same token, we can't take the relatives and make them absolute either. In other words, forcing their application on all people in all situations. And if you'll notice this, and I don't want to be harsh in that, but the weakened faith is a little bit more inclined to do this than mature Christians. That's the reason why that God tells us to mature. It's because he, he, he knows this. And they're like the Pharisees. I don't say they are Pharisees. I said they're like the Pharisees. They feel a little more comfortable when they're fenced in by rules. You know, somebody else telling them what to do and what not to do. And rules are helpful in developing a faith. But they will inhibit growth if we let them become a crutch to us. I always told my children and I told the churches that I pastored, whenever you decide that you don't want to do something or you want to do something, don't go around saying the church don't believe in it. I told my children, don't go say dad don't believe in it. You've got a conviction of your own. You say you don't believe in it. Because there comes a time when we have to be responsible for ourselves. And all of these things, rules, regulations, laid down, this you do, this you do, this you do. In other words, every facet of your life is covered by rules and regulation. And Paul says it ought not to be that way. There are some things and choices left to mature individuals. Now, children do need a list of do's and don'ts. But on the other hand, those that are mature or maturing don't have to be told don't run the street, you get run over. Don't have to be told that don't touch a hot stove. You know, you soon learn that and you, it don't take you very long to learn that. And then there's some maturity about you that you don't need somebody telling you all the time as you go out the door, don't do this, and don't do that, and don't do something else. You've got a bunch of rules that are ruling you when God Almighty should be the one that's dealing with your heart and your mind. And you should be smart enough in the Bible to know the absolutes of God. You should be smart enough in God's Word to know what God actually forbids in His Scripture. And then what He leaves to you as a mature individual. Paul came out. He said it himself out of the touch not, taste not tradition. Had a, it's a bunch of, bunch of critics that took all the joy out of, out of living even a Christian life. You know, I know people that can't enjoy their Christian experience. I say God help us when we get to the place that we're regulated with rules so much that we can't enjoy the liberty of the Holy Ghost. There's something wrong in our lives. And God motivate us. Get the church out of this predicament that it's in. And this division that is destroying individuals by the thousand. And let us get mature enough that we come out of this. That we can enjoy what we are doing. 
Now we don't always have to be condemned about something because somebody said it was wrong. Find out whether God said it was wrong or not. And if he left it relative, then apply your own thing and the Holy Spirit of God in your life and your faith and see if it will allow it. And if it does, do it. And if it doesn't, leave it alone. Now, Paul had a better idea than that. He had another way of dealing with principles and making choices. Some issues are simply just a matter of personal conviction. I don't care how you read it, which direction you go. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in, in this one verse and others, one man esteemeth one day better than another. While another man esteemeth all days alike. Let me just read it the way it says here. I've been reading out of another Bible. Uh, Let every man be fully persuaded in the church's mind, the board's mind, the congregation's mind. What is he saying here? He's saying here, here's some things that somebody's going to have to be fully persuaded in their own mind as to what they are supposed to do. In other words, you're supposed to be and convinced in your own mind what you're allowed to do. Now, what freedom does your faith give you? That's what Paul's asking. What freedom does your faith give you? Paul says, I know that nothing in itself is unclean. Now, you see what he's getting at it? But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. You see, Paul said, it doesn't bother me. I can sit down and eat anything. But if somebody else sits down without the faith I have, personal conviction that I have, and begins to do that, he's a sinner. He's not doing it in faith. So you see, we, we have a lot of areas that, that we, we need to cover. And it goes on to say, and you'll find this in verses 14 and then uh, 22 and 23. Uh, Paul says, the faith you have, more or less, keep it between yourself and God. Don't go around boasting to everybody else what you can get by with and what you can do and what you can't do. Uh, don't go around boasting to somebody else that feels like that they have to be under some rigid rules of some type. Just simply keep your faith in yourself to God. He goes on to say, Happy is he who has no reason to judge himself for what he approves. But he goes on to say, But he who has doubts is condemned if he eat. Then it becomes wrong to him. You see what I'm talking about? It becomes wrong to him. For, uh, it goes on to say, Because he does not act from faith, for whatsoever doth not proceed from faith is sin. So actually what he's saying here, it's possible then to be doing something morally right and yet be sinning if we're not acting in faith. It could actually be morally right to do, but if you're not acting in faith doing it, if you're doubting and you're sitting down doing it, not fully convinced in yourself that it's the right thing to do, it becomes a sin to you. And so better than sin... Paul's saying, just don't do it. Just don't do it if you don't believe that you can sit down and eat meats to, to offer to an idol. Hey, look, if, if you've been raised in that, you can't get that conviction out of your heart. Don't do it. I had a little lady in the church at Birdseye, and it's, it's online Pentecostal. 
I mean, we, we had we had a good time when we went there. And I, I'm not throwing off on old line Pentecostals. I wish sometimes we could recapture the fervency and anointing power of God that, that moved on them. Although there's areas uh, that they moved out in darkness. But this one real old lady came to me and she said, Brother Hoshaw, do you think it's wrong for me to cut my hair? She said, it's just so hard for me to reach back there and get it and I'm by myself and all this. And I said, what do you think? I said, what's your idea about that? She said, well, I've always been told not to, but she said, I've never really been condemned about it. I said, then do it. Then if you're not condemned about it, it's not going to bother you, then you do it. And by the same token, another lady was talking in the uh, barber shop when I was in there. And we was talking about that. And she said, Brother Hoskall, do you think it's wrong for me to cut my hair? And I said, what do you think about it? She said, I've been raised all my life. I've never laid a pair of scissors on it. I've been raised all my life that it was wrong. And she said, I just couldn't with all good conscience do it. I said, then don't do it. Leave it where it's at. But you see, that's something that's debatable. That's something that, that we can have a dialogue about. That is a personal conviction that should be left up to us. And if we can cut our hair and not feel any condemnation and nothing bothers us, that's a personal liberty God has given us. But if it's going to trouble you, and if you're going to feel like that you've done something wrong and you can't get out of, out of your mind, whether it's past teaching or whatever it is, then you just leave it like it is. Because you would be sinning and doing it because you're not acting in faith. And Paul's also saying here, it's possible for two people to have opposite convictions and yet both be free in the Lord. Aren't you glad of that, that everybody doesn't have to think uh, like you think? <laughs> I know individuals that think what they think is what God thinks. <laughs> I mean, they actually do. I was talking to a minister, and uh, he, he said, I don't have any trouble finding the will of God. <laughs> and I told my minister friend, I know he doesn't because he thinks what he thinks is what God thinks. So naturally, it's no problem at all for him to find the will of God. But what we think is not always what God thinks, all right? So we have different issues over political opinions. <laughs> this is election year. You got, you're going to find the church in different different churches have different ideas. What are you, Democrat or Republican, or, or just what are you? You for uh, Bush, or you for the caucus, or you for uh, who, who, are, who are you for? Okay, a personal opinion. We have a right to that. Social customs grab uh, Christians in different ways. I was raised up. For a while, you just couldn't play softball, you couldn't play basketball, and you couldn't have any form of entertainment. There's nothing you could do. It was just simply a sad sack religion, bound by laws of man and ideas and opinions of man, and all of this. I still have some things in that area. As far as my own convictions, I can't feel good about. So I just don't do it. But do you think it would be right for me to condemn somebody else when they feel good in God about it and that it is not condemned in the Bible? It's not an absolute. It would be wrong for me to condemn them. They have their personal freedom. They have their personal liberty. And uh, they can do it. Some have a conviction about a vegetarian diet, you know. <laughs> there was some in Bird's Eye Church that didn't believe that you ought to eat meat. 
I told him, that's just fine. You do what you want to, but don't you walk on my roast beef sandwich. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to eat it, that's fine, but you leave my roast beef sandwich alone <laughs> because I like it and I'm going to eat it. <laughs> and uh, that, that's the way I feel about it. If, if, I told him, I said, if it bothers you and you can't eat it in faith and you feel like that this is wrong in God, you leave it alone. I'll welcome you into the church. I'll love you as a Christian, but I'm going to expect the same thing out of you when you see me with a great big old hamburger in my mouth, eating it, I'm going to expect you to accept me. Because I have no condemnation on that. I feel like, like the Apostle Paul, I feel like everything is clean as far as I'm concerned. It's not a matter of salvation, it never was. When you look at the dietary laws of the Scripture, it wasn't given for salvation. It was given for health. Those were health laws. And there's a lot of things that I eat and that I can eat. I'd be better off if I didn't eat. <laughs> I mean, health-wise. I don't think anybody's going to go to hell for eating pork. But the doctor tells you it's not real good for you. <laughs> All right? I don't think anybody's going to go to hell for doing this, that, and something else. But uh, health-wise, it's not good for us. So the law of liberty says simply this, and this is what we're talking about right now, but we're going to go a little further than that. The law of liberty says if Scripture doesn't address the issue, and if you're not convicted by the Holy Spirit, and you're not becoming enslaved to it, see, here's a catch too. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved to anything. In other words, I can do all of this, but when it becomes my master, that's when I stop. Right then, so, and, and your faith gives you the freedom, then the law of liberty says, go ahead and do it. But, we're not through yet. The next two principles put some restrictions on Christian liberty. First off, the Lord is the believer's ultimate reason for doing or not doing anything. I mean, when we come to that place that it is God, instead of asking, what can I do, and get away with it, how far away from you can I walk, what all of these things can I envelop and add to my life, we should be asking ourselves the question, how can I best please the Lord? How can I please God, or is this God's highest will for me? I know that I am allowed to do it. I know personal liberty tells me I can, but is this God's highest will for me? And can we say and thank God at the end of the day for some of the things that we have done because of our personal liberty? And finally, we're really not accountable to the pastor in these areas. We're not accountable to our best friend, but we are accountable to God. You see, God sees every place you go and everything you do and the attitudes you take with your personal liberties, he sees it all. And he sees whether you've run roughshod over a brother that is weak with your personal liberty or not. And he sees areas in your life that you could have been a better witness had you not have taken the liberty that was... I grew up. Not bigger than dad. <laughs> well, no, he's bigger than mom. 
she, I mean, there's something about her. She stood right in under here, and I mean, that little woman spoke, and those eyes began to glare, and this old boy began to wilt. <laughs> there was something about Mom, and it wasn't that I was afraid of her. It was that I respected her. My parents were to respect in me so that when I grew up, I had personal liberties as an adult to do things that I couldn't do as a child. But there were some things that I saw hurt mom and dad when I didn't want to do it. Not because I wasn't allowed to, but because it was hurting them. An adult Christian will look past his personal liberties and find out if he's walking upon the convictions of weak individuals. I'm not talking about individuals that's just looking for something to complain about. I'm talking about individuals that actually this is what they're based on. That, that's what they actually believe. So on the basis that we are accountable to God alone, Paul writes in Romans 14, 6, and let's just read that. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. So when you begin in that, so it, it simply tells us that each one of us is going to give an account of, of ourselves or to God of ourselves. And when we look at that and see that and realize that some choices cannot necessarily be a personal preferences because God has got an opinion about them and one day we're going to report to him but because we won't be reporting on one another <laughs> hallelujah <laughs> then we're going to have a little bit more time to look after our own holiness you see I've said it before we feel like we've changed places with God we want to judge and we want God to witness <laughs> and God has left the church to be a witness and he says I'll be the judge now, we have a right to uh, inspect the fruit if things are absolute. If God says it, and it's absolute, and w let's just go on up here, and if we see individuals that, that are rioting and that they're drunk and that they're wanton and they're rebellious and they're in strife and envy, we have a right to set against that. We have a right by the Word of God, not by our own personal preference, but by the Word of God. But we need more than anything else. I know I do. I need some time to look at myself. And it's always easy to look at somebody else's life. <laughs> it seems like they have so many glare, different glaring mistakes that I don't have. <laughs> and it's just so easy for me to see them. And naturally it is. Because man can be the most truthful individual in this world and still lie to himself. You know that as well as I do. Because it's hard to stand up and look yourself in the mirror and say, Self, you are just exactly what you see. And no way of getting around that. You did it. You're responsible for it. Nobody else caused it. And it's hard to do that. Because you can always find somebody out here and say, Now, if it wasn't for them, there's people sitting home tonight that says, If it wasn't for them. How about God? Where does he enter into the picture? Could you say, if it wasn't for God, where would I be? But well, we simply have to look at it and things don't go easy in our life. We have problems. We have despair. We have individuals rising and falling. People we put faith in is up and then they're down and all of this. And we stand in, in, in our blandness, in our 
lukewarmness and in our faultings and we look at ourselves in the mirror and say you could have been a pretty good guy if it hadn't been for so and so that God in you with. now he's the reason for it but number one look yourself in the mirror and say again self <laughs> you're responsible for your actions if you didn't know God good enough to follow him and not humanity then there's something wrong with you anyway God has never failed, has he? God has never let us down. He has always been there. He's never been too late, but he sure passed up a lot of opportunities to be early in my life. <laughs> the other times when I just think, God, couldn't you have been a little earlier on this? <laughs> and all of these worries that I have and what I have. But Paul cautions about putting a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. After he expounds all the personal liberties that you have, given you by the Holy Ghost and by as a mature Christian, he cautions in verse 13 that we shouldn't ever put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of our brother. And those that claim, I'll do my own thing, you know, I, I, I'm not really condemned about it to, to each his own, simply do not understand Christian liberty. Let me define Christian liberty. We've been set free. But we've been set free to serve others and not to please ourselves. The whole Bible is full of instances like that. Verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things that make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. And sometimes we can press for personal liberty and put such importance on it that we have selfishness in our life. We say to ourselves, we are not bound by the Holy Spirit, we are not bound by laws, we are not bound by our own faith. And if we're not careful, we become just as selfish in our freedom as other individuals are in their bondage. There is an organization that has so many faults, they all do, but it has so many faults and genders so much bondage that I find myself sometimes hard to keep the criticism and the judgmental attitude from individuals that there. And then sometimes, even after making statements, and I still do, God help me. Even after making statements, some way the Holy Spirit convicts me and lets me know that when I condemn them, I'm very little better off than they are when they condemn me. I have to leave what they are and who they are with them. And I have to realize that my liberty sometimes does affect other individuals. I, again, I'm not talking about individuals that just sit there with a judgmental attitude and they could care less other than they just want to judge you. I'm talking about individuals that are actually offended, actually offended by some of the things uh, that we do. My wife and I had went pretty much all over the United States and India and some of the foreign countries, and uh, we know that we was going to go into churches that didn't believe that you should cut your hair and all of this thing. And, and uh, my wife let her hair grow. Somebody said, you're compromising. 
You're feeling the bondage? No. We just knew that there was honest-hearted individuals that I would never or she would never be, get a chance to say anything to because we would turn them off immediately. And they couldn't, wouldn't hear a thing we said. And some of them were actually offended because of that. It wasn't compromise. It was just simply trying to recognize that they were still under rituals, rules, and bondage, and some of them may never come out of that. And then you have some sweet, honest people, just like the was family in the bird's eye church they'll never cut their hair they'll never come out of their forms of dress but they learn to accept other individuals on the basis of who they were and what they were realize it was something there there about it paul paul says he would just simply gladly give up meat if it would help his brother they said the reason i do that and I, I like this where he inserted it. The reason I'd gladly give up meat or drink is he said the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, <laughs> but peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. So he said that, that's the reason I'll just give all these other things up because actually they're menial things to me. My meat is the Holy Spirit of God and my drink is the Spirit of God. I found this all in the kingdom of God. Pharisees were so preoccupied with rules that they majored in the minors. You know, they didn't pass away. Pharisees are still here today. Jesus said something like this in their zeal for trivia, little things. They forgot the weightier matters of law and of justice and mercy and of faith. And you see this. Trivia. Church is wrapped up in trivia. The first thing you hear, my children tried their best to fit into some churches in Lufkin, Texas. Uh, every, every place they went, all they heard was, clothesline and hair and uh, brand name jeans and brand name clothes and uh, and all of this that's all they heard and they was used to the word of god they were used to gospel trivia thing and they had forgotten completely about justice completely about the laws of god about the mercy of god and about the faith of god and they simply left out one thing that is so important and that's love love simply preserves us from riding hobby horses and from religious pride and from judgmental attitudes and anytime you find the person with all the answers and doesn't have a question he's got more answers than he deserves to have <laughs> amen so you got to realize that there's still going to be going to be some questions because you find it and i've seen it his script is memorized he doesn't take into account the situation where it's at, who's involved, why it's involved. He just memorizes his script and he gives his predictable responses to every situation. Doesn't make any difference what, what the reasons are. He's really not listening. He's not confronting the problem at hand. The thing that has actually happened to those individuals. You can't make the same judgment on one individual as you can on the other because situations are different. And that's why you need to find out where they're at and, and listen. Because life is not a pass and fail situation. There's grades and graduation and, and degrees. We can't call it a whole book black and white. There's some shaded areas in there. And in those shaded areas, doubtful do's and don'ts, we're going to find some sensitive individuals that need the touch of the Holy Spirit of God. We're going to find them. Love just simply urges us not to judge those that decide differently from us on matters that doesn't pertain to doctrine or morals. There are two things 
that God always insists in. Doctrine is doctrine. Morals are morals. And you don't go out and beat everybody on the head with your doctrine. <laughs> you just don't do that. You learn to love them. You learn to find out where did they come from? What was they taught as a child? And Dad always said this. He said when dealing with people of other denominations and other faiths, he said, you treat them just like you would a hungry dog. They've got a bone. If you don't go up there and take the bone away from them, they'll bite you. But said, if you throw down a good juicy beef steak, they'll leave that bone and start in on that. So if we can't present these individuals something better than what they've got, you better leave them alone. And Pentecost had better get on their knees. Amen. And better get the Holy Ghost working and get our attitude straightened out so we can present these individuals out here something better than they have or have ever known. We've got it. It's the Holy Ghost. Well, we've turned a lot of people off with our, we're the only ones. We don't give them anything any better. We just go say, give me that. <laughs> That's not right. Your doctrine's wrong. Just give me that bone or they bite you. Yes, they will. Just give them something better. <laughs> Hallelujah. we got to remain flexible. Remain neutral. That keeps love alive. And more than anything else, we need love alive. Here's some things I want to go slowly with. We'll close in just a minute. One mark of maturity is the ability to distinguish truth from opinion. Rights from responsibility. Necessity from preference and knowledge from love. One can puff up while the other builds up. So in conclusion, I have three laws working here. The law of liberty that says we are free if scripture, if the Holy Spirit, and if our faith gives us liberty. But, superseding that law is the law of lordship that says whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And superseding all of those laws is the law of love that says we are happy to give up that which we are free to do for the sake of a brother or a sister. That's the law of love. And we have all of these laws to contend with. But more than anything else, when the church graduates and operates under the law of love, you're going to find a reestablishment of holiness, Pentecostalism, if you please, that which has been dragged through the mud. You're going to find a resurgence of that in the power of God in individual souls. The world is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of a living God, where they manifest God and not man. The world is waiting for that. And God out. <laughs> Until God gets what he wants. Out of us, as well as out of other individuals. But he knows what he wants out of us. He knows there's areas that all of us are failing in. At the best we can do. <laughs> At the best, as far as we've come, there's still some things that God wants out of us. Because we've got a world out here that's dying. And Jesus Christ is the only one that gives us. I think we 